0: Trigger warning, this episode includes some graphic details about sexual assault and victim blaming. I'll make sure to give a warning before we get to the detailed parts of this episode. I'll also advise you how far into the show you should skip. Take care of yourself. Taylor was having a good time. She was having sex with someone she really liked and she was really enjoying herself. Taylor really loved sex, so this wasn't the first time she was having it, nor was it the first time she was having it with someone who was sighted. She was in her body, in her mind enjoying the moment when
1: they completely stop they're like oh you don't like it and i'm like i do like it like why are you saying that like yes i do don't stop
0: the guy was apparently thrown off by taylor's facial expressions she was enjoying the sex yes but it was hard for him to believe it he said because he thought taylor's face was saying something different
1: they were like so like i see the look on your face and you don't like it or whatever and You know, it's bad to say, but like, I don't think about my face and my facial expressions and things like that. As a blind person, like, I guess I kind of forget that everyone else can see me sometimes. And so I'm not really worried about putting my face in a way that like, that you will read a certain way because I'm more focused on my body and like what's happening and what we're doing than the way my face looks to you.
0: This is How I Fuck and I'm your host, Natalie Rivera. For many people, sex is very important. It's something that we enjoy doing and something that feels as essential to our well-being as going to therapy, having a bath from time to time, or binge-watching a show. Yet not that many people admit to being horny in the same casualness as they'd say they are feeling hungry or uninspired. And things can get trickier when you're not in a monogamous relationship. Admitting that you want to sleep with multiple partners or that you have a fuck buddy can be met with negative reactions. I know this from experience. Whether it was friends raising their eyebrows or a close family member not understanding why the person I was seeing wasn't my significant other already, I felt there was this uncomfortableness around the idea of having sex for my own pleasure and not because I was investing in a committed relationship of some sort. I think that some of these negative reactions came from this desire to protect me, maybe. At least I felt that from my loved ones. That because I am a woman, I shouldn't make myself vulnerable or give others the impression that I'm easy. That sleeping around is reckless. I'm theorizing here, of course, but if these theories are true, then they fucking suck. I imagine this would suck even more for someone who was especially protected growing up who even now as an adult still grapples with situations where people think she is incapable of being sexual. Someone like Taylor.
1: My name is Taylor Ellis and I live in Maryland and I'm blind or visually impaired because I do have a little bit of sight. So I'm technically not completely blind, but I only have light perception and a little bit of color, but I only have enough sight to like get myself in trouble, not really to use it.
0: How, how would you describe that to someone?
1: Have you ever seen like a glass, um, like a shower door that's made of glass? And like when you, take <laughs> when you take a shower, it gets all foggy and steamy and you can't see through it? Yeah. That's kind of like what the picture of my vision looks like. That's the best example that I could give you. Taylor was born visually
0: impaired. She started learning how to use a cane when she was a toddler, though she didn't use it much back then because her vision loss wasn't as severe then as it is now. Still, she felt this barrier between her and the other kids at school. Sure, she wasn't completely blind, but she was still different from them in some ways.
1: I was really, really shy. Like, I don't see when people are looking at me or if someone smiles at me. Even when I had more sight, I could never see those things. So a lot of times it would take someone, like, talking to me or like kind of opening that door. And then I feel like the more someone spoke to me, I would become more and more comfortable. But I kind of feel like if I didn't have my sight as a barrier, I feel like I would have been much more of a social butterfly.
0: Did that ever make you feel lonely?
1: Yeah, it does. Because sometimes I just like, as a kid, like I just wanted people to like, treat me like the other kids. And now it's just like, I want people to look at me and see that, like, I'm Taylor and I have these interests and I have this personality. And then, as a side note, I just happen to have a disability that's blindness. But instead, I feel like, like the disability kind of comes before me as a person.
0: Whether it was them trying to avoid any awkwardness or just the fear of talking to a girl, period, guys would especially avoid Taylor, which was kind of dumb because they really liked her. Like this one boy in eighth grade who Taylor says wound up being a lot more popular than she was.
1: He was new to our school, so I feel like that kind of took down a barrier. And so he didn't really have, like, friends there already. And so right off the bat, like, he came in and, like, right away we kind of, like, started talking and got to know each other.
0: Taylor's parents weren't fans of Taylor dating or socializing with boys.
1: Actually, it was more like they never thought that she would. I feel like there was this na- naivety, I guess, that like because I was blind, I wasn't going to be sexual. Like in my family, I was never going, I wasn't seen as like a woman who was going to be sexually active one day. One time, my own grandmother told me that like it would take a very special person to want to marry me or be with me. Another person in my family said something like, I would never be able to have kids or have a family because if I did, those kids or that family would be someone else's responsibility. It could never be on me to take care of those types of things.
0: But Taylor knew this wasn't true. She had briefly gone to a school for blind students when she was nine, where she was surrounded by adults like staff members, faculty, who were also blind and who had careers and or were in loving relationships. So yeah, Taylor called BS. Also she had a boyfriend now and they were doing things lots of things.
1: We would hang out outside of school, we would go to church together and we snuck off and like made out at church in this like side room and then like things were getting like more physical and more intense and we did some like dry humping clothes on sex whatever you want to call it and my dad actually walked in in the middle of it. As you
0: can imagine Taylor got into a lot of trouble for that. She was grounded and wasn't allowed to see this boy again. But Taylor's a rebel, so that separation didn't last long. They saw each other in secret and spoke on the phone. That's when they decided to come up with a plan.
1: We kind of like offhandedly decided at that point, like today is the day, tonight is the night, like this is going to happen. He came over and I had made like a little pallet on the floor in my living room at my house. We did it two times. The first time we did it, It was kind of like missionary and I was on the bottom. And then the second time, it was the other way around where he was on the bottom and I was on top.
0: Wait, so just to clarify, did you guys do it in the
1: living room? Yeah.
0: That's fucking crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the living room, in my dad's house.
0: They snuck around and had sex a couple more times before Taylor's dad found out. He made them break up, but in some way, this was only the beginning for her.
1: That's basically how all of my relationships in high school went, was if my dad found out that I had a sexual relationship or a physical relationship with someone, then I wasn't allowed to talk to this person anymore.
0: This cycle of dating a new guy, having sex, getting caught, meeting another new guy only to get caught again during sex gave Taylor a bit of a reputation in high school. She didn't mind it, though. In fact, she fucking embraced it. She wasn't just the blind girl at school anymore. She was now the slut.
1: Girls weren't talking bad about me because they didn't want to be my friend because I was blind. They were talking, you know, trash about me because I was sleeping with someone. Or, like, guys weren't talking about, oh, Taylor's blind. Guys are talking about, well, Taylor's easy. Taylor will do this, blah, blah, blah. And maybe everyone else in the world would think, like, that's horrible and that's wrong. But because, like, being blind is just, like, I can't change that. I can't can't control that. That is that is my reality and that's never going to change. But I can't control what I do with my body and who I do it with. While
0: her blindness didn't define her or her sexuality, it did make sneaking around a little difficult at times, like the time she and a boy from high school had sex when her parents were away.
1: We were using condoms, you know, being safe. And like, I thought I had thrown all the wrappers away and like got rid of all the evidence. And my blind girl self had dropped like I guess when I opened it, like a little piece of the wrapper uh, like broke off in the floor and I didn't see it. And my stepmom found it when she came home. So if it wasn't for my blindness, I might have gotten away with that one.
0: Or the time she had sex with another blind person from school. Did you feel like there was any difference sleeping with another blind person as opposed to sleeping with someone who is
1: sighted? Truthfully, the biggest difference, and this is like Like just being blunt, the biggest difference was if we were going to see if someone walked in, if we were going to notice that someone walked in or that someone was about to walk in. That was the biggest thing. It wasn't anything to do with the physical way things happened or like anything like that. It was like, do either of us really have enough sight to see if if like my mom walks in or anything like that and if we're going to get caught?
0: Taylor's sex adventures took a huge toll on her relationship with her dad. He knew that if she wasn't getting caught in the act, that she was probably hiding evidence in the house.
1: I was like flushing the condoms down the toilet and like despite everything, like my dad looks at me and he goes, you're flushing the condoms down the toilet? Like, don't you know you're gonna mess up? the septic system or whatever it is you're not supposed to do this and it's like in the middle of me getting like yelled at and like told like I can't do this and like I'm this and I'm a slut and you know I have a bad reputation and like all these things like my dad like sidebar like never flush condoms down the toilet (laughs) and on top of that Taylor you're messing up our plumbing (laughs) yeah exactly
0: (laughs) in all seriousness though According to Taylor, her parents, especially her father, would shame her for having so much sex. He kept reminding her that she had a reputation at school, and that reputation was a bad thing, a terrible thing, something to be ashamed of. Apparently, this attitude towards his daughter goes all the way back to when Taylor was a young child, going to the school for blind students we had mentioned earlier. Trigger warning. The next two minutes and 40 seconds explores childhood sexual abuse and suicide. Taylor's school was for students up to grade 12. She'd ride the bus to school every day, sitting alone. The older boys who also rode the bus would start sitting around her. We're talking 17, 18-year-olds. They would say sexual, inappropriate stuff around her at first. Then they would say things they wanted to do to her sexually.
1: I didn't really know how to respond or, like, what to do with it. And I didn't know, I guess, if it was really harmful. Like, I don't know if that really came across in my mind but it was like the longer those things came into play then it became you know touching me in ways that like maybe initially weren't really assault or like you know 100% inappropriate but kind of like testing the waters and then like trying to figure it out on my own I'm kind of sitting there like is this wrong is this not wrong like Am I overreacting? Did I do something to make this happen? And what will be the consequences if I say something?
0: The boys continued touching her for the next three years. Taylor didn't know what to do, so she kept quiet. Word started getting around, though.
1: Older boys would tell the other older boys that, like, it was okay and, like, she's not going to say anything. And honestly, like, she likes it and things like that. And it's just, like, at the heart of it, like, that wasn't true. But I didn't know how to express or like really get someone to listen to me and honestly i didn't know if i was overreacting or like am i gonna be a pariah if i don't let this happen and a lot of that is because of my blindness because these are the first situations i had where i'm not the girl just sitting in the corner that no one wants to talk to
0: by 13 taylor was struggling the abuse was damaging her mental health she didn't know what to do but she knew that she couldn't keep going through this So she spoke up. Taylor explained to me that she told her mom about the abuse at first. She begged her not to tell her dad, but she did anyways, and her dad contacted the school.
1: They were like, this is unacceptable, and like, there's going to be consequences. But, you know, once the initial reaction from my parents and everything calmed down, like, nothing really happened. Nothing stopped it from happening, and honestly, it got worse. Like, it got a lot worse.
0: By the time she was 14, her mental health had spiraled out of control and she attempted suicide. Her dad went to the school again after he found out about the suicide attempt.
1: That's when things got to a boiling point. The school was like, you know, she wants this to happen. She's letting this happen like and then it was like we have we have witnesses who say that like she wanted this to happen with these boys that are a lot older than me. And unfortunately like I know for a fact I wasn't the only girl that was in this situation. I can't be around my own father without in my head being like why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you trust me? Like why why as the an adult and as my parent didn't you understand that this school wanted to cover up for themselves more than protect me? In the end, I wasn't believed and what happened to me wasn't listened to and I didn't get the help that I feel like like I really was truly asking for and needed ever because it was easier for my dad to believe that, you know, I was a slut who just wanted these things to happen than maybe it was for him to process that. Like my daughter is a victim and I don't know how to help her and maybe on some level he blamed himself and so it was easier to just Look at it as I was the problem.
0: Was that your, the reaction that you got from your parents then? That they, they didn't believe you? hmm So this is the part in my conversation with Taylor where things get difficult. You see, this wasn't the only time Taylor experienced abuse at an institute for blind people. Trigger warning. The next minute and 20 seconds explores sexual abuse. When she was 19, she attended a structured discovery center for blind adults, where students live in apartments close to the school, and they learn how to do everyday things like keep a home clean, do finances, and travel as a blind person. These kind of programs are meant to prepare blind adults for the real world. Taylor was excited to attend this program. Her sight was getting more impaired, and she was using her cane more often.
1: I was getting really independent. And feeling confident with like my cane skills. And I had just like, this is at the time when I was going through a huge transition personally between having, you know, functional sight that I could use to getting around to fully depending on my cane. So, like, this was going on at a very kind of like important time in my life. And the summer program, like, I made friends and it was a great, it was a great summer for the most part.
0: She and her friends would hang out at each other's places a lot. One day, a classmate Taylor was still getting to know invited her over for dinner with her and her much older boyfriend, who was also a student at the school. The couple drugged Taylor and raped her that night. Taylor reported only the boyfriend to her school immediately after she pieced everything together. According to Taylor, the program seemed helpful at first. to kick the man out of the program, but they encouraged Taylor not to press charges. She believes the school was trying to avoid a PR nightmare that they were doing this because they wanted to uphold a positive image kind of like the school she went to when she was younger.
1: This program offered me counseling with counselors that they worked with but that wasn't enough and the way they handled things weren't good enough and honestly it ruined it ruined my program because I was here at this place to become independent and To gain independence and to take control of my own life. And this experience ruined that to me because now I don't feel safe anymore. I don't trust people anymore. I'm scared to be alone because of what happened to me.
0: Her last couple of months at the program was riddled with nightmares and panic attacks. Because she hadn't reported the girlfriend, the woman was still in the program, so Taylor would see her every day. The women started convincing other students that Taylor was lying about the rape. Her peers started turning on her, telling her that she couldn't possibly be telling the truth because victims don't speak out. I know, it makes no fucking sense.
1: I didn't finish my program because I ran out of time and I wasn't willing to do some of the requirements because I was too scared and I felt too vulnerable at that time.
0: And some of these requirements to finish the program were like passing tests where there was a lot of traveling on your own, right? Like being able to do things on your own as a blind person.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to be on my own when I was traveling. I heard that, I don't even know if this is like a real thing, but in some point at that time, I heard that once a person gets raped, it's more likely that it will happen to you again. And so that terrified me. And so even though what happened to me didn't happen during travel, travel was the one place in the one way when I was going to be alone in places I had never been to. And I wasn't willing to do that.
0: Okay, so I mentioned earlier that this part of our story was going to get difficult. Obviously, it was difficult for Taylor to tell me all of this. And frankly, it was difficult writing about this, not to mention recounting it in an episode. But the reason why I said this is because there are a lot of conversations being had right now about sexual misconduct in the blind community. People, especially women, in the blind community have been sharing their stories of abuse and misconduct on platforms, including Facebook, using the hashtag MarchingTogether. Many of these allegations involve programs and institutions run by the National Federation of the Blind, which is the oldest and largest national organization run by blind people in the U.S. The organization is home to many resources, programs, and initiatives meant to help blind people. I looked up some of these stories and noticed that a lot of these allegations are similar to Taylor's experience. Blind women being abused at blind institutes only to be discredited by their peers and the people overseeing these programs. Victim blaming, slut shaming. In early January, the Washington Post reported that hundreds of victims, survivors, and witnesses of sexual and psychological abuse at programs, conventions, and blindness rehabilitation centers signed and sent a letter to the NFB as well as the National Blindness Professional Certification Board, which certifies instructors for the blind, demanding an investigation into these sexual misconduct allegations. The letter also demanded a review of new policies that can prevent misconduct from happening again in the future. When Taylor and I spoke, the movement was in full force. More and more people were coming forward, sharing posts or uploading YouTube videos. I had just read a statement from the NFB before our interview that said, and I quote, We stand in solidarity with victims and survivors. Additionally, we acknowledge how difficult it is for many to come forward, and we continue to seek avenues for victims and survivors to be heard. So when Taylor described to me the abuse she experienced as a child at the School for the Blind, I asked her some uncomfortable questions. Was that one of the first times where you realized that maybe you are more vulnerable? How do you think your blindness came into play with this?
1: I feel like it's more just the environment that I was in versus like my blindness as a whole. Like I was in a situation where, you know, I feel like there were older boys trying to like have relationships and having and who were having hormones and feelings that like they wanted to explore. And I don't know, like maybe they couldn't do that at home either. And so I was just kind of like there and I didn't really know how to process it. So it made it easier.
0: I didn't push Taylor any further about this at first. When she told me about her experience, to me, it seemed like the way she was explaining it was that it was something that happened to her, but it wasn't something that necessarily happened to her because she is a blind woman. Her blindness didn't put her in that situation. Those boys did. But later in our conversation, like three hours into our conversation actually, the subject of the marching together movement kept coming up and well... I kind of wanted to explore this further. How did you feel when you saw that trending? Did you see it differently? Did you see what happened to you a little differently?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. And it's kind of, it's bad to say and unfortunate to say, but I feel like I can't really keep talking on it without like openly telling you that, you know, I had what happened to me happen in a blind school situation when I was younger. And then I was I was also um, raped as an adult in a blind program, and that wasn't taken seriously at all. And I feel like that was because it was a blind program and, you know, they didn't want attention to be brought to them, negative attention. And it was also kind of like, on some level, maybe it was, does this other person understand the consequences of their actions? And it was just dismissed as like, I don't think they'll do that again. You know, the NFB isn't like the National Federation for the Blind. They're not bad. And I think the letter that you saw from the president, it's good if it's its great if it's backed by action. You know, these programs, they have great intention and they are really great and they are really beneficial. But like these situations, like what happened to me and like what's coming out with so many other people, the way that it's handled, everyone has to do better. It's about like educating and not pushing things under the rug even parents being willing to like, see beyond the disability of their children and realizing that like, you know, they're gonna be in the real world one day in some capacity. And so knowing about their bodies and sex and, you know, educating them and educating them on consent because consent is key. And it doesn't matter, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big of a slut someone at some point in my life thought I was, the moment my consent or someone else's consent, you know, was violated, it was wrong it shouldn't have happened and it doesn't matter if you're sexually active or you're not sexually active your consent is just as like valid as the next person
0: taylor is now 26 years old she's married and is the mother to a beautiful 6-month-old daughter her desire for sex is still the same yet taylor would be lying if she said the experiences she had didn't affect her still she still worries about her safety she still has triggers Her husband, who is also blind, has been incredibly supportive with her, making sure she has everything she needs and that her needs are met sexually.
1: My husband is very open to, like, exploration with me, where a lot of my other partners, like I said, were very vanilla.
0: Taylor is a pretty kinky person. Her partner, before meeting her husband, introduced her to BDSM, and it stuck with her. Her and her husband have BDSM-centered sex regularly, and it's a freeing experience for her. She still enjoys sex, but there are times where a wrong touch can pull her back into her trauma. I can't imagine how difficult that must be, and I'm not going to try to explain it to you on this episode, because Taylor's relationship with sex isn't defined by a chapter in her life. It's more complex than that. It's more beautiful than that. So I'm going to leave this final soundbite from her from our interview.
1: Initially, people are shocked sometimes. Not everyone, but people are shocked when they're like, oh my God, blind people have sex. Or, oh my God, blind people have kids. Or, like, how do you even do that? Or, like, who would even want to have sex with you? People honestly think those things. And so it's, like, part of me feels like it's super important to just, you know, talk about, like, yes, I'm blind, but I'm a woman and I like sex and I enjoy sex and, like, I want to experience those things. But then on another level, it's, like, you know, I've had really traumatic negative experiences and, like, maybe that was because I was maybe, like, it does have a lot to do with being blind and the way things are handled in the blind community. And I feel like both things are like valid and important and important for people to hear. And I guess the only way for those two things to like happen is to talk about it.
0: Taylor didn't have any social media accounts she wanted a shout out. But she did tell me after we spoke that if anyone wants to reach out to her, whether that's to share support or to talk to her about any experience they might have had, to email her at ellistaylor1994 at gmail.com. That's Alice spelled E-L-L-I-S Taylor T-A-Y-L-O-R 1994 at gmail.com. And if you or anyone you know is experiencing abuse, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. How I Fuck is produced by me, Natalie Rivera. I am also the host and creator. Ben Gillis is our audio engineer. Cheyenne Lopez did copy and fact check. Original music by Miguel Gutierrez. Gabriela Sanchez is our social media manager. And our sponsorship manager is Muna Kulubali. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at How I Fuck Podcasts. That's How I Fuck without the U, so F-C-K. We also have a website, howifuckpodcast.com. Also without the U, so F-C-K. There you can find all of our other episodes as well as sources, transcriptions, show notes, and photos. And if you like our podcast, give us a rating, leave us a review, tell a friend, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Until next time.